The Poetic Podcast. In this podcast, we delve deep into the world of poetry and meet with some of the most talented and inspiring poets and performers working today. My name is Jay Rosanna, and I believe poetry has the power to inspire, to move, and to connect us to each other, ourselves, and the world around us. Through these conversations, I hope to shed light on the creative process, the themes and ideas that inspire the work, and explore the impact poetry can have on all of our lives. Hi lads, I'm not going to sing or play an instrument and use a be very glad of that. I'm a spoken word performance poet. So nurses are on strike today. So I'm going to do one about nursing, just because we were on strike and we need to be on strike, not for money, but to keep you guys safe. So this is one that I wrote during the pandemic. It's called Nightingale. I am not a make you better nurse. And you don't want me at your RTA. See, I am a palliative trained cancer nurse. I hold your hand when you pass away with this. This isn't nursing as I know it. This is like training for the SAS. And I am so far from my comfort zone. I've never been so stressed. And all day long, I shout at colleagues through a face shield, through a mask. My name is written on my apron. Because there isn't time to ask. And two weeks ago we told you that you might not make it through. But before we placed you on a ventilator, this maze of wires and leads and tubes, you messaged, you phoned your loved ones. And you thanked them for being in your life. Your voice, a ragged whisper as you said, goodbye to your wife. Put your battery ran out of charge and we were running out of time. So I wrapped my phone in plastic and I told you, please... Use mine. I'm looking after you today. God, I feel like I could drown. I am trying to force compassion through this face shield, mask, and gown, and every layer builds a barrier. I have no idea how to climb. I want to rip these gloves off so I can feel your hands in mine. I want to stop this incessant beeping. The hiss and the wheeze of these machines, they're turning you on your front in bed in the hope that you can breathe and your family should be here right now. I should not be standing in this space because no matter how much or how hard I occur, I can never take their place. My heart, my spirit, they're broken. My hands, my feet, my face are sore and every night the same bitter prayer, please. Don't make me do this anymore. And they turned off your machine today. And I pulled your curtains round. And I watched your chest rise up and fall. God, I tuned out all the sound and thought, I am not a make you better nurse. And you don't want me at your RTA. But I am a palliative trained cancer nurse. So I held your hand as you passed away. Thank you. In this episode, we will be meeting nurse, poet, performer, and the creative mind behind Danielle, 
and her one-woman show becoming marvellous. Let's jump straight in and meet the delightful Kathy Carson. Kathy Carson, hello. Hello. It's lovely to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm delighted to be here, Jay. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. I'm really good today, all for today. Where about are you in the world, Kathy? So I am in a little village called Crossgar in Northern Ireland. If anyone knows Northern Ireland, I'm about five miles outside Downpatrick, um, but quite rural. So that's in County Down, is it? In County Down, yes. Yeah. Done your searching, my goodness. Yay! <laughs> Isn't Google wonderful? Isn't it fab? <laughs> You're a nurse in Belfast area? Yeah, so I am a specialist cancer nurse. I work in radiotherapy with cancer patients in the Belfast City Hospital. So yeah, I specialise what I do, but I really enjoy it, Jay. And also a counsellor? I'm also a counsellor, yeah. So I trained as a counsellor in 2010. I haven't been counselling now since the pandemic. And the pandemic counselling went on Zoom. It just changed the dynamic for me and I find it really difficult to, to connect with clients in, in the Zoom environment. So, And I haven't had a chance to go back to it now that the world opens up again, but I might well do go back to it. I'm not practising as a counsellor at the moment. Have you been doing that kind of work for a long time? Goodness, so I did my training. I got kicked out of school at 15, Jay. Oh, wow. Were you a naughty? Were you a naughty girl? I was naughty. I got kicked out of school for truancy. Go early. Truancy, truancy for, for oh, not wow. going. I think in third year, I had 31 days of school attendance in the whole of the year. So it was quite a feat. But I went back and did my GCSEs and my A-levels in my 20s. And I trained as a nurse. So I've only been nursing really what, 21 years. I'm coming 50 this year, so. Only 21 years. I love the way you just sort of casually drop that in. Only 21 <laughs> years. <laughs> so you must have a passion for it. I have a passion for my patients and a passion for what I do. I do not have a passion for the way the Tories run the system. It's getting tougher and tougher and tougher out there. Um, not enough beds and not enough of us. So yes, I have a passion for the job itself. But yeah, it's getting tougher and tougher out there, definitely. We're certainly living in a strange world and in even stranger times. And I think I think it's probably the best time ever to be a poet. Plenty to, to write about, absolutely, yeah. I've got some information here that says that not only are you a performance poet, you're a writer, and I let me quote someone, champion of the underdog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was something that someone said to me, because I, I love new voices and I love sort of cheering people on and getting underneath people and lifting them up. So that was something that came from someone else. And I thought, you know what, if I can claim that, isn't that a wonderful thing to be able to claim that you can have the power with your words or whatever you're doing with your vocation in your life to lift up people and to, to raise awareness around them? I think you do that a lot too, Jay. I see you doing that in your poetry as well, to lift other people up and make people aware and to, to help people shine that wee bit more. I see you doing that a lot as well. Yeah, I, the more I do poetry, the more it's, that kind of thing's becoming important to me. It's just like I got into poetry because it helped me express things that I couldn't say. I imagine you were broadly similar in yeah. that space. And it's very easy to see it in others when we see them for the first time. I remember the first time, I think, when, when I met you online and you were very supportive of my 
poetry performance and at the time I was like what am I doing <laughs> like wow. what what am I doing why am I telling people telling these people these random strangers this kind of stuff and I remember you were one of the ones who you reached out to me afterwards and you know with a lot of support and I've seen you do that so many times for other people since then so thank you for that Kathy um, yes. that's really really important to me it makes a massive difference and it kind of inspires people like me to want to do the same you know I think I do it because at the very beginning Jay it was something that happened to me because gosh it is frightening to to stand up there and to as poets we're not we are performance poets but I don't see it as a performance we're sharing ourselves and we open ourselves wide open and and we need people to catch that stuff very gently and, and hold it very carefully and it's a very vulnerable position to be in at times so Gosh, I know when I did it, when people caught me and just helped me that little bit more gently, goodness, it, it underpins you and it helps you do it a little bit more. And it's it's so important. We all need that that sort of care around that, I think. I think so. And I read an interview with you. You're all over everywhere. Normally I have to dig deep to do research, Kathy, but I haven't had to dig very deep to do research <laughs> uh, about you. So you talked about how your performance happened by accident. Do you want to tell us a bit about that before I say the next bit? Yeah, so I've, I've always really struggled to, to speak in front of people, Jay. I stuttered as a very young child, and sometimes I still stutter. It always helped me back. For university, when we're doing presentations, it always helped me back. I would actually leave the room crying, trying to speak in front of people. I would be shaking. I would be vomiting. Really, really difficult. And when I started writing, the first event that I did, I was holding the page and the page shook so hard that I couldn't actually read it. My legs were shaking so hard I couldn't actually really stand very straight. And it was a bit of a disaster. (laughs) My voice was really high like this and I was so nervous and I spoke too fast. And just really difficult. And then I was at a next event. I thought, I'm going to try this again. And there was a, a gorgeous friend of mine called Jay, actually, um, Jay Faulkner, who said to me, you know, you write from your heart and you've read this enough times, you probably know it. Try not to use the page. Just set the page to the side and see, just look at it now and again. And I I tried to do that and I didn't look at the page once. Wow. And it felt like taking flight. That's the only way that I could explain it. It just it felt so free not to be conscious of of the words on the page and not to have to keep checking. And I just felt like I was pushing them through me and out of me. And I just felt massive catharsis and a sense of freedom in my voice that I'd never really experienced. And I sat down and I thought, okay, so this is how I can actually do this. I can actually do this this way, that this might work. Because up until then, I had no idea that 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 was even in me. Yeah. So it was a huge shock, a huge shock, but yeah, a very welcome shock. I think I came across when I heard you perform, and I can't quite put it into words, but it's like my soul kind of reached out to yours. It's just like in an empathic way in the fact that, so in my life story, so I didn't speak at all till I was 11. I had troubled upbringing. And, um, and I had the same issues as you in the fact that that inherently introduced shyness, introvertedness and stuff that I couldn't, I would literally, if if anyone even hinted that we were either had to stand up in front of people or do one of these sit in a circle round robin kind of conversations, 
you'd, I'd just be literally shaking like a leaf. So I knew I had to address it. I knew as I was getting older and people, and it was all people around me who helped me do that through speech therapy and other stuff. I knew if I didn't address that, it would hold me back in life. I think the vulnerability that comes through in a lot of the things that I've heard you read, and I've seen you do a quite a lot of stuff on YouTube as well. I think that comes along in, that comes over in spade loads. You know, there's that willingness to, to share that vulnerability, but also perhaps to a degree the need to do it. Yeah. Because what it does when you put it out there, it says to others, I'm doing it. You can do this too. So yeah. in that way, it's kind of a holistic therapy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it is that that courage. And, and yes, I do hear it in yours too. And I hear there's something about the way that you read. The pacing is just so careful and so cautious and so well-placed that that it lets the word sit a little bit um, before you go on to the next stanza or the next line. And I've learned so much from listening to you as well, just to take my time. Because sometimes with nerves, you can really rush and, and just kind of the adrenaline's going and everything's firing. And you can rush a little bit, but there's something about you, especially on the YouTube videos, that you really take your time. And it, it reaches the very corners of us when you do that and let the words have that space around them. So I, I'm learning from you as well, definitely. I think, we, I think we learn from each other. I mean, yeah. I think the thing that always cries out to me is, the space between words is as important as the words themselves quite a lot of the time. But partner that with the fact that most people who are listening to something that you're saying are probably a few seconds behind all the time. So they, they need time to to kind of catch up with what you're saying, especially mine. Is that, just like, mine can be a little bit complex and mine, mine do have a slightly dark tone, although I'm trying to improve that, you know, with, with time. But, in 2021, you took part in um, a reading series called um, Silent War. So Silent War, Ross is a, a local poet and he's an English teacher as well. God bless his grace because he, he didn't know me very well at all, but he had heard me do a poem that I had written about the pandemic. And he had wanted to raise awareness around the pandemic and all the different ways that the pandemic was affecting us and wanted to make this album. And he reached out to me to, to read a poem of his. And to be honest, Jay, my first instinct with fear and insecurity and all of that self-doubt was no. <laughs> yeah. I emailed him back and I said, Ross, I think you've got the wrong person. I, I really don't think, you know, I'm not really established. And, you know, I haven't been sharing my work long. And Ross is a beautifully complex writer. My writing is not as complex as Ross's and very different from Ross's. And I thought, oh, I'm the wrong person. He must think I'm somebody else. <laughs> So he came back and he says, no, definitely, Kathy, I, I wrote this with your voice in mind and, and definitely you're the one that I want. And I said, OK, OK, all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm going to be really transparent here. So I have been writing poetry and I didn't even call it poetry. Yeah. I had been writing what I needed to write. I've been writing to express myself. I've been writing to ease the ache. I've been writing to do all these things. But I knew nothing about poetry absolutely nothing about poetry the language around poetry I hadn't even heard Jay this is really bare I hadn't even heard what a stanza was I hadn't wow. even had any of that language I didn't know what a meter was so I sent him an email and I said listen Ross 
what way do you want me to read this? And he sent me back a message that said, I don't really mind, Kathy, as long as you respect the meter. And I thought, Jesus, what's a meter? (laughs) So that's how knew I was to this. So I asked him what a meter was, and he sent me a 17-page document, university level of what a meter was, and I was all the more confused. (laughs) (laughs) But we worked it out. Yeah, I learned so much from Ross as regards to just the structure and everything around that that I hadn't known, and I got really hungry for it then as well. But yeah, it was beautiful to do that project. He, He was really gracious in asking me to do that project. The poem was about nursing and really what it took from us to to be in ICU during that time and the demands on on every aspect of us our spirituality our mental health our physical health and all the demands that were there I can only imagine I mean I was one of those families who were standing outside banking pans you know uh, in the street just in support but none of us really had any real insights into the depth that must have impacted on the nurses who not only were were family members themselves, but also nobody really knew what was going on at the time, didn't they? And we're talking about that. Yeah, the very beginning, yeah. Um, and, there, and there you all are trying to do your best, trying to work through all this PPE stuff and trying, yeah. trying to get it. And we're trying to show you the sport in the best way we can. And I, I can only hope some of it came across. My okay. banged pans like... <laughs> Like anything, I can, I can. My son, my youngest son, is standing on the wall. Why, why are we banging pants? I don't keep banging them <laughs> because that's all. Oh. That, that's literally what we were reduced to. Like we, there was nothing really that we could do other than to yeah. try and lower the burden on on mm-hmm. health service. So, how was it being on the front line of that? Definitely, in the beginning, it was very, very frightening. None of us knew what this was. None of us knew how to care for it. How to how to nurse people, what to give them, you know, what to do with them. And I remember coming home in the evening and I had a routine in the evening when I came home to my husband where I would have my dressing gown hang on the banister as I came in the door and I would just strip off and everything went straight in the washing machine and I was straight up into the shower and I slept in a separate room from my husband and I didn't see him or we didn't eat together. So we lived like two ghosts in the same house. Wow. definitely for the first few months um, and that to be honest was when the Zoom community really saved me I didn't know what Zoom was I downloaded it and came across Clive and Nick and this community just scooped me up it was my company it was my salvation it was everything Um, yeah it just scooped me up and I was Zooming a couple of times a week when I could when I wasn't working and I'm just getting all of this yeah, just salvation from all these people who shared their hearts and their words and their worlds with us and making these connections and feeling like there was something out there and that was different from what I was seeing during the day. That's pretty much how I discovered um, the online community as well. Because I'll be honest with you, Cathy, I almost never did poetry at all. Because like well, at, the I... at the beginning of lockdown, I'd been doing a little bit, but I hadn't really thought I was going to be doing it regularly. And then lockdown happened. And and I did that thing, and there's probably no way you would have had time for this because you were working for the whole thing. But a lot of us were like, we need something to like fill a space where human beings used to be, you know? Yeah. And, and I nearly went back to um, developing like, computer games, which is what I used to do a long time wow. ago. And I was going to do that. 
and I saw this poetry workshop thing and I said I was going to go and I didn't go. And then the person reached back to me and said, you said you were going to come to this. Uh, not just to me, they said it to a few people. said, you said you were going to come to this. So I went along and kind of haven't really looked back since because I met um, Clive and Nick that way as well. And yeah. found this amazingly supportive community of which you're quite a big part of now in the way, in the way that... The, the way that you lift people. But the thing I wanted to really ask you was how did it really feel reading someone else's poem? Oh, gosh, scary, <laughs> really yeah. scary. I did a couple of takes and I just did it in my dining room. I don't have any fancy equipment, so I did what I'm doing now. I did. I used my iPad and I recorded it. My husband came in and pulled the curtains and tried to get sort of like a little sound booth and put blankets up and stuff, but we try to sort of make it as good as we could and I sent him the recording and the first couple of times I did it I did that thing that I do when I'm nervous where my voice goes far too high <laughs> so I had to, to do a couple of takes but once I got into it and um, yeah such a privilege that's that's the daunting part of it is the sense of privilege and the sense of responsibility but I'm, I couldn't remember it now because it was so long it was two years ago but his yeah. poem was was beautiful and um, it's on band camp and you can go on and find it um, but it was absolutely stunning and it was written with such emotion that it was catching me as I was trying to to read it and um, but yes it's a big responsibility Jay I really felt yeah I felt the weight of it a bit <laughs> how would you feel if someone else read your poetry that has happened that has happened, that has happened. Tell us about that. Um, so Finn Hall who does the blot we did a poetry exchange one night where he let me read one of his and he chose one of mine to read and I gave him one that I'd written about my husband which was quite a vulnerable thing to do um, and he did his own thing with it it's really strange you hear it differently when someone else and sometimes I've had a few times now but sometimes I've gone back and I've edited it after hearing someone else reading it yeah. um, because you realize that you're controlling all of it when you're reading your own stuff you're controlling every aspect of it and to have someone else then take over that control is a really vulnerable place to be. And it makes you hear all the X in it that you maybe hadn't heard when you can control it. So it's quite a good thing to do sometimes, I think. You know, I, I still have mixed feelings about it. Yeah, um, I do too. <laughs> punctuation is the one for me, right? Punctuation is the one for me. And it's because I'm not very grammatically correct. I, I put punctuation where I think I would read it, right? Not necessarily where logic said it should be. And a couple of times, and oh, so people have asked me, do you want to come and do um, a thing where we read each other's poetry? And I'd always been, no, no, no. I, I, don't think, I don't think it would come across because it comes from a different place, doesn't it? Yeah. And a few people have read my poetry, and I've sat there fascinated because they've read it in a completely different way to how I might have written it. And it's like they've they've interpreted it through their own ends, which is really what, what, what we're pitching for, isn't it? Yeah. People to do is like listen to the words, but then think how does it how put it into context with your own life experiences. So I think I've done a 180 on it, Kathy. And uh, <laughs> hearing people do it, it's it's not only is it it's extremely flattering, but it's also an opportunity to, to really sit back and be critical of your own yeah. in a positive yeah. way. Yeah. I'm exactly the same as you, Jay, in that I do my line breaks where I take a pause. Yeah. So and I, I have to be really honest and say, and, and some some people know this about me, so I don't write on the page. 
I write using voice app and I'll loop stuff over and over and over. So lots of my stuff isn't written down anywhere. It's on my voice app or in my head. And so when someone says, I'd love to read a poem of yours, I'm like, for God's sake, I have to write it down. Because <laughs> the whole writing it down to me just doesn't appeal. So I don't ever write it down unless I really, really have to. It's not how I create it and it's not how I use it. Um, I use it out loud. So it, a lot of my stuff doesn't exist in, in written form. Um, and I have to kind of sort that out, don't I? <laughs> it, it, you're absolutely right, right? So I did my first I did my first collection back end of last year. And it was the first time some of that stuff had been properly written down. And my real fear was when it's written down, there's a permanence to it now. Because mm-hmm. and I'm I think I'm hearing it from what you're saying, is that I do tend to say my poetry. I use like the dictation on my phone often when I'm driving or doing other things to to capture it. But I change it a lot after every performance. Like I'll perform it and I'll change it. I will also have another thought. But the the very thought of writing it down filled me with dread because I was like, oh, my word. Now I've got to write the definitive version of the poem. And even though I did it in, in, uh, I think my book came out in December, I've already updated some of the poems, (laughs) Kathy. Yeah, I hear you totally. I really, yeah, I can really empathise with that 100% because... When I'm in a room, it's a conversation. Yes. I'm very much, and I, I don't know if this is what you do, if it's the same thing, but what comes back at me from the audience will dictate my nuance and whether I play up a different line or sometimes even leave a line out if I don't think the audience can hold it. And so it's a conversation and it's very much a two-way thing, especially with the show. I've been in environments with the show where that audience isn't ready to hear some line that are in the show that are too hard-hitting and I've left them out because I know that if I put that line out there to this audience I'll lose them so even to write the show down is a concrete piece and I do have it because I need it as a script for going out there but it can be a bit organic it can be and and I like that (laughs) (laughs) now I should say the show is becoming marvellous that's when you say the show you if I may say the award-winning Becoming marvelous. Yeah, goodness, that was a shock. <laughs> that was a shock, but that's your community getting behind you, which is really humbling. You know, that stuff only happens because people get under you and lift you up, which is blows your mind. A really very humbling experience. So, how did that show come about? Goodness, um, so it started with one poem, Jay. I have a history of homelessness in my background that I put to bed and and never did anything with. And then I had a couple of incidents with people that triggered that ache and sort of kicked that dust up again. And and I write to ease an ache in me. And so I I wrote a poem to to ease the ache. And I did it through a character because it's really hard for me to to stand in that space. It's quite triggering to stand in some of it. So I created this character to help me do it. And I gave her a much stronger dynamic personality than me and and a bit of attitude and a bit of cheek. So she grew. And as she grew, I decided to give her other poems that I had written. And the show kind of grew organically from there. So it's not all of my story. I've given parts of my story to this character, but she's very much her own character. And she has her own narrative and there's a lot of fiction in there as well so it's we don't live our lives in a, a lovely narrative arc 
that allows us to tell a story and we don't live our lives in isolation so there are people to protect so I would never get up there and tell my own story because I don't have everybody's permission to to tell their parts of my story so because of that some of it is fiction and some of it is completely autobiographical and it's a mixture of those two things I've never gone through and seen how much of a mixture it is or what the balance is but it's a semi-autobiographical show, but it's not—it's not my story. It's very, very much hers. So you—you you were performing that last year. You're performing it this year as well, I believe. Yeah, I did about eight or nine nine dates last year. Um, I'm back up in Mount Shannon Art Centre in June in their yeah. festival, and then I'm in um performing it again in July as well. Um, but yeah, I did lots of dates last year. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. So I already said to you, so this is going to be a first for me. I've never been to Ireland. Have and you not? No, I've never been. I've I've always felt like it, but I grew up in like the 80s, late, late 70s and early 80s, you know, the times of the troubles and all of that. Sort yeah, of that. yeah. So there's, a, there's this inherent fear of a country which is completely baseless, or maybe not completely baseless, but it's largely baseless these days, I think. And... Uh, so I would like to come to Ireland. So I decided last year, I'm going to come and see your show. So it's also going to be the first time I've ever been to Ireland. Wow. Gosh, <laughs> no, no pressure, Cathy, wow. no pressure. But I'm not even going to let you know which one I come to. I'll just be sitting in the audience and then... <laughs> No, maybe I, I will that. tell you. <laughs> I, I would absolutely love that. So whenever dates come up, I'm going to ping them your way. I would love to meet you in person. That would be amazing. Yeah, wow! Same. I, yeah, but I mean, just just the idea, like you know, I, I love the idea of doing a one woman show anyway. But I I don't have the, the self confidence really to do it. Um, certainly not at this this point in my life. But I have thought about it. And I've done some of Can this I tell I've, you, Jay? I don't I don't have the confidence to do it. And every single time that I'm doing it, I say to myself, I can't do this. But because I've created a character I 100% believe that she can I use her so I, I never feel like I can do it I'm always backstage pacing up and down and shaking out my hands and sometimes on the loo and off the loo and on the loo and off the loo all the time um, but I totally believe in her so I would say get an alter ego um, and yes. that you can invest in and trust her because that's what's helped me is to trust Danielle. I believe in Danielle 100% to get her ass together and get out there and do her thing, even if I'm backstage being sick. <laughs> I believe in her. <laughs> but it's interesting that you say that about um, creative character because I'm, I'm writing a series, you know, you've heard some of it, and mm-hmm. people ask me, why why is most of it set in, like, America? And why, are, why wouldn't you set it in places that you know? And I go, because I need it to be far enough away that it's not me, that, that I yeah. can then be free enough to explore the things I want to say without feeling like I've got to go and ask permission all the time. Um, yeah. people. And if I set it far enough away and distance it away, it feel a little bit safer doing that as yeah. well, I think. So that really resonates with me when you said create a character that, you, that, that can represent what you want to say, but can also live its own story. Yeah. 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 So I thought, yeah. So I think that's a really good thing to. That's a really good thing for me to go away. And you can still, you can still be really emotionally honest in that space. 
Yes. And you can still have that same catharsis and that same release and the same impact on an audience in that space that you can if you show up as Jay, if you show up as someone else. They're just a vehicle for you to to push that stuff through and push that narrative through. And it still has the same impact. And that, that's been a learning for me that I don't always have to lay myself wide open and, and claim it all. I can yeah. still have the same impact and connection with an audience when I use Danielle or, or another character. If we were to meet in person and we were to, to sit in a coffee shop or a tea shop, what's your go-to beverage? I ask this everybody, Kathy. What's your go-to My beverage? go-to beverage, I'm really simple, Jay. I am a black tea and a custard cream. <laughs> no frills kind of girl black tea and a custard cream um yeah and it has to be builder's brew don't give me you know any of this earl gray or anything just give me a good builder's brew tea (laughs) absolutely you know it always amazes me when you go in t-shirts or when i go in t-shirts and people and i say can i just have a cup of tea please what's kind of tea and I, my response is always the same, and the same with coffee. Give me what we, you would give me at home. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. All I want, just give me. I don't want to think clever. Just give me whatever you would give me at home. And, uh, a tetley. <laughs> yeah, tetley. <laughs> and I like the fact that you like custard creams. My daughter is an aficionado of custard creams. She can put away a packet in one session, Captain. It's just 100%. endless. Yeah. And I'll just keep refilling the tea until the packet's gone. It's It's a mission. <laughs> when did you really start thinking about poetry you said you had a troubled <clears throat> upbringing yeah well when did you become conscious that poetry was playing a part in that in school the only subject that I really enjoyed was English and I just really enjoyed creating language and I was always the, the child that got their stuff read out in English classes as an example to to other people which was very embarrassing but yeah I always have written not an awful lot but we all have those cringeworthy notebooks that we did when we were teenagers of all our angst absolutely um, so that was probably where it really started was those angsty poems yes. um, yeah and then I joined a writing group in my 20s and did a little bit there and was a little bit braver the first time I read something in my writing group, I sat with my back to everybody because I couldn't bear them looking at me. And I just really struggled. And yeah, and I didn't read anything for a long, long time after that because I just find it so difficult. So it stayed on the page for a long time, Jay. Is it okay to ask you about stammering? Yeah, it is 100%. I still do stammer. So my fear around doing any of this was always, what if I stammer on stage? And I have stammered on stage and the world didn't stop spinning. Who knew? eh? Amazing. (laughs) And I've also, I was at a gig one time in uh, Stendhal Festival in Northern Ireland a few years ago. And a fantastic poet who I really look up to um, forgot her poem midway. And she just stopped and she said, you know what? I've forgotten the rest of that poem, so I'm just going to do this one instead. And off she went and she did the next poem and the audience stood with her and she came off stage. And, and I just thought, if that had been me, I would have come off stage crying and, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed and I can't believe I did that. And I would have been beating myself up and giving myself a hard time. She didn't even mention it, Jay. 
she came off stage and she went I really enjoyed that I had the best time and I just thought I've learned something from you today you know you can mess up and, and it's okay you know it's it's okay it's, it's human to stand up there and mess up and not get it right 100% all of the time and that's okay absolutely and I think for me that's the that's the beauty of the poetry scene and poetry audiences the poetry audiences are always behind you aren't they they and I've seen, and I've done it myself. Uh, there was a, I did a thing at the back end of last year where I simply couldn't finish my set because the theme of the night was too close to, it was too yeah. emotionally close to me. And I, yeah. I got this, to the second poem and just, I managed to just about get through it. And I just said to him, I'm sorry, I have to stop. I can't do anymore. Um, yeah. I've never done that before. But the thing I find is the poetry audience is very beautiful in the fact that they will be supporting you. They'll be, you know, saying to you, come on, come on, you can do this and, and don't worry and all of this kind of thing. Isn't that an amazing, isn't that an amazing community to be part of? Yeah. Where we absolutely. build each other up, we don't pull each other down. Yeah. And it's now what I find really different is when I'm out there with the show, I, I'm not always playing to a poetry audience. Yeah, and it, it can beautiful. feel a bit different. It can feel a little bit different. Um and sometimes it's it's just as good and sometimes it's gorgeous. Sometimes it, you can feel it the shift in it is a little bit different. So you get to really appreciate your your poetry audience and, and the people in our community whenever it's like that. And I always do a thing, if I'm local and I'm doing anything local, I'll do a shout out, what I call a shout out for a front row queue. So I'll, I'll shout out and I'll get my friends in the front row or anybody that I know, and that's my cushion. Because as long as I can see, you can always see the front row when you're on stage. And as long as I can see those guys in the front row, I can breathe a little easier and I'll know they'll catch me. And that's my cushion. So even if I don't capture the rest of the audience, I know I've got those guys in the front row. And, and that's such a generous thing for them to do for me, to to put themselves in the vulnerability of that front row for me. It's, it's lovely. Yeah. I hadn't thought that you, you would be performing... Of course you would. You'd be performing. I'd always said it was when people say, you know, where would you like to, what would be like your ideal thing for poetry? Mine would be to perform where people aren't expecting poetry, you know, and to be able to capture at least a couple of people and take them with yeah. me um, on the journey. And you must get that. You must get that a lot, especially now you're award winning, Cathy, and now people are getting to know. <laughs> But, but now people are here seeing you and going, oh, I'm going to go and see that show because it's award-winning rather than yeah. because I know Cathy or because I'm interested yeah. in the subject matter. You must be getting people come and listen to you who are not in that poetry and yeah. at all. Yeah, and the show is a continuous narrative, so it, it feels like a play. Yeah. It feels like a very normal play. And actually my um, my mother-in-law came and seen it the last time I did it um, in February there, and I didn't know she was coming. She didn't tell me she was coming because, yeah, I just would have got really nervous with my mother-in-law in the audience. <laughs> but she said to me, Kathy, some of the writing was like poetry. And I says, it is flipping poetry. <laughs> and she said, but it sounded like a play. And I was like, okay, well, yes, it does sound like a play. I said, but it definitely is poetry. Well, I didn't really hear any like proper poems in it. And people have sometimes this perception of poems where you have iambic pentameter and it's this very certain rhythm but I think the way that we do it as performance poets and spoken word artists we step right into that and we smash that rhythm up and we yeah we just do it a little bit differently and, and we perform it and sometimes people are shocked by that I think 
when when people talk about proper poetry, they probably they're probably talking to some of the classic stuff, you know, the the, the yeah. old stuff, which in its day was probably groundbreakingly different from what had come before. The ability, I think, the, the focus is to tell the story, isn't it? Let what you're saying come out first and foremost. And by golly, if it happens to fit a form by accident, that's great. Don't, <laughs> don't force, don't force it into one way or the other. Um, but yeah, Jay, some of my favourite poets are RPH poets. If there is such a thing as if there is a definitive line, and um, I do have really poets, especially some local poets that I really love, that are very quite strictly page poets, and and their stuff is gorgeous. I would read it and listen to it more so than than what people think. So let's let's talk about let's explore that a little bit when we're talking about uh, inspirations and admirations of poetry. Where's your go-to place? Who inspires you or who do you admire in terms of poetry or poetic storytelling? Goodness. So on a, on a local level, there's um, some spoken word artists that I saw in the very beginning of this journey, Michael Wilson and David Brazel. You could probably look them up online. Yeah. Michael does this incredible thing where he does sign language with his poetry. Wow, okay. And it's almost like a dance. That's the only way I can describe it. Um, and I love his pacing. And he and David Brazil, who is a poet actually from England who moved over here, he is fantastic. And he was one of the first people that I saw deliver this thing called spoken word, where poems didn't live on the paper. Mm. And I, I thought, gosh, this is a thing. This is a real thing. <laughs> and I stood on the edges of it and watched those two guys and a few other people for a long time before I stepped into it. Um, probably guys that you would know, Clive and Nick. So, yes, two very funny poets, two incredible supportive guys. But there's a poem that Nick does called Race for Life, which I absolutely love. Um, just the build in it is gorgeous and it's a little bit deeper than some of the funny stuff he does. And a poem in Clive's book called, I think it's called There's a Little Bit of Burma in My Father. And it's a side of Clive that you don't always see. It's a very vulnerable, very exposed side. And actually, if you see Clive's show, Clive's show is is very vulnerable. Funny, yes, hilarious, insightful, witty, all those things. But there's a very vulnerable mental health side to, to his work as well that I love it when it peeks through. But yeah, um, you, of course, there's some stuff you've done lately. There's a, a poem that I listened to and I got gripped in February. And I think it was called Grandmother. Okay. It was about food banking on your pension. Good Jay. Oh. <laughs> I just listened to that in my car. I don't know how many times. Um, yeah, just the weight of that. I just thought it was beautiful and so well balanced. And I, you know, one of the poets that I love, and there's a few others that do this, like Kate Jenkinson and Natalie Seagreen, where they come up at the end. So they will take you to the dark, but they will lift you at the end and give you that little bit of hope in that. That is so important to to let us feel the ache with you, but to take care of us when we're feeling it with you and make us trust you that, yeah, you're going to keep us safe here. We're going to be okay because I know this poet and I know she can find a way out of this. And I'm doing that. She's going to take me with her. And, and we're really prepared to step into the dark with you because yeah. we know you're going to take us out at the end. And I think that's such a skill. Thank you. I'm still I'm still learning that skill. I, I'll be honest with you. It's quite a few of my poems do kind of just fit 
drive straight off the cliff at the end. <laughs> and that's okay. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. That's okay. But and that's the thing. When you build your rapport with your audience, they'll they'll go there with you too. Someone described it to me as a roller coaster ride. And it's just like no matter where the roller coaster goes, try and return people back to where they boarded the roller coaster. Yeah. Um, and then let them take the memory of the ride with them. Um, yeah. Which which I think which I think is really good advice. I yeah. think that kind of writing is really important and it and I think it's important when it when it, you can't find your way up just to stay there. You know, that's that's a valid experience and that is an experience that that is shared with many. And and I know that our topics of writing are very, very different, Jay, and I know we're coming from a very different place in, in what we're trying to express, but emotion is emotion. And yeah. there's an education in, in what we're doing, I hope, that lets people feel and be aware of things that they wouldn't be aware of otherwise. And being really honest about the ache of that and the heart of that and that it sometimes isn't always good at the end is really important in, in trying to raise awareness and stand in that space for people. Yeah, I, I like the thing that you you said in an interview some time ago, um, talking about emotion. Um, because for, for me, I, like I've learned there's there's kind of a personal cost every time we perform, isn't there? We we reveal part of ourselves and we show that vulnerability and we, we shoulder that. And um, but you'd said I think in an interview that if it's emotional but not draining, maybe cleansing. Um and I've kind of described it as kind of as a as a performer sharing a burden, but then as part of the audience receiving somebody else's burden. And so it becomes yeah. very connected. Yeah. 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 So I really I really connected with what you'd said, I think, um in, in that piece, because um I think you'd said something like it gives you the chance to talk about the narrative, but reframe it in a way that other yeah. people can take control with. of the narrative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I think um, very often the stuff that happens to us, if we have trauma in our background or things that have happened or things that we've gone through, it can feel very much like other people are in control yeah. and part of shaping that narrative. So what I do is I will try and, and focus on a tiny part of that story, and it might be really, really tiny, that has been positive or could have been positive. And I will blow that up and give that as much detail and as much focus as the trauma. So then that kind of rewires my brain that whenever I'm thinking about that, I've given that as much layers as the trauma because trauma is so detailed. It's so elaborate and takes up so much space in your head. So if you can build up the other stuff, it kind of pushes the trauma out for me. Yeah. So I, I will pick a very small part of something and I will layer it and, and build it up and make it that sometimes the focus of the story and the trauma can sit around it. Um, but sometimes I just need to say it like it is as well, Jay. You know, and, yeah. and you're saying about leaving it dark. Sometimes, yeah, I just leave it in the ache because that's what I I need to be heard, and I'm writing for myself first and foremost. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think I don't know whether this is the same for me, uh, for you, but for me, when I'm performing, like if I perform something for the first time, it can have quite a profound impact. Like not beyond the thing about are people going to connect to this, but God, I can't believe I'm saying this, <laughs> you know, and, and all of that stuff. But the more I do it, the more I kind of remember that that it well, the more I do it, the less power it has over me, yeah. if I yeah. like. Um, because I feel that other people are taking that on board. Is that similar for you? Yeah, very similar for me. And and I have to be really honest and I have tipped over. You know, when we when you perform, you stand on the edge of it mm. and you feel it. 
and sometimes I have tipped over. So I have turned off Zoom at the end of a poem and stood shaking. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience where yes, you uh -huh. just you've tipped over that little edge where you've just felt it a little bit too much and stood on it a little bit too much and you can tip over that little bit and that's where your community will bomb into that chat so I get really <laughs> <laughs> I just think in Zoom especially in the absence of going up to your room and giving someone a hug or going up to someone at the end and saying I really loved what you did there I think the chat box is so important in catching people and to, to anchor them in those moments yeah, I think so. I mean, for me as well, so I had to kind of, re for a while, I was doing dozens and dozens of, of of online events, right? And I was going around with a few people together and we would, at one time, we were doing like four a day. But wow. I had to peel it back because some of them were lasting three hours. And by the time we get to towards the end where I, where I would be sometimes, I'm already done. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Full. And I'm, I've actually had to leave a couple and just go, I can't, I just can't. I, got, yeah. I don't have the don't have the endurance within me to be able to now share my poetry yeah. because I've took on board so much of everybody else's. Do you, do you ever find that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you're an empath, you will soak in all that stuff and yeah. you can absolutely feel yourself getting heavier and heavier with it as, as the thing goes on. Um, and yes, I've been at that point where... I've come to mine and, and I've nearly just wanted to to get mine done and then go put the kettle on <laughs> take five <laughs> and I'm really conscious um of of other people and and being present for other people and I so I don't do zooms that are too long and um, yeah. because of that reason because I I want to be present and I want to stay focused and I want to hear and your brain and your heart and your soul can only carry so much weight and so Absolutely. sometimes if they are too long I really struggle. I really struggle because I soak in all that energy and it sounds like you're the same. Yeah, that's why I started Words Collide. It's an open mic. But the the, the reason I started it was because I wanted something that just lasts an hour. So that, yeah. so that for, especially for new people coming on, they haven't got to wait three and a half hours yeah. listening to all this amazing poetry and then go, oh, no, what am I going to... I wanted there to be no more than, say, half an hour for anyone to have to wait to perform poetry. And yeah. it, the whole thing is done in an hour so that yeah. we can all share our truth. We can all be uplifting. And we've all got energy to do an hour, right? And then yeah. we can go away and think, great. And I'm amazed how many um, first-time performers come. Isn't it brilliant to see so many yeah. first-time just go, I've never heard it. I've never heard stuff like that. And I've never heard it put across like that before. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. I love new voices. I love new voices. I did an event at the weekend, a live event. And there were 12 readers. It was a flash fiction event. And I only knew one other reader. So there was 10 new voices. And I was like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> because only you can tell your story how you tell your story. And this is a voice and a, a new dynamic and a very original way that I haven't heard before. So one of my favourite things is, is new voices, absolutely. Yeah, and I've seen you. So this is another part of you lifting others up because I've seen you... Um, follow up with that and post I think almost every day since you know those performing doing their yeah. stuff, you know and, yeah and really bigging them up like these, these yeah because someone did up. that for me at the beginning um the guy Jay I was chatting about the very first event I did he had a blog at the time and he put me on that blog and I was like whoa <laughs> maybe this is something I can actually do maybe 
I haven't been sort of coding myself on that, that I can connect with people. Maybe I really can. And he gave me that little sliver of something. And I, so I just think it's important that we do that. Yeah, me too. Because I, I meet so many people who are like, I don't do poetry. You know, that famous, I should get t-shirts saying I don't do poetry. Uh, who's saying I don't do poetry or or I don't want to share my what's inside. And that's okay, you know, if you don't want to. But when people come to a poetry event, they see that it's not what they think it is. You know, mm-hmm. we, we yeah. all probably have a picture in our mind of what a poetry event might be like. And yeah. we think about classical form, we think about formal reading of poetry, etc. And it's not like that at all. It's just a lovely yeah. group of people who are sharing a little bit about their life experience through interesting stories. Mm-hmm. And m- the majority of people who've come along to them have gone, I'm going to come back. I'm going to, I'm going to, or Wonder. I'm going to go. After <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Thing. That's fantastic. Well done, you. That's that's a gorgeous thing to do. What's oh. it like to host you? The thing that appeals to me about it is, I think I might have heard you say this before, because you don't always perform in things that you you go to online, do you? And um, for me, I like it's an opportunity to sit back and really take in what's being said yeah. without me thinking. Right, I'm on fifth. I've got to get. I've got to get. You know. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Stuff that's going on, going, don't forget your poetry, or or, or you're going to change your poem at the last minute, or yeah. you haven't got to worry about any of that. And and the beauty of doing it in an hour is I can just go, hi, this is such and such, it's their first time, off you pop, and then, you know, and just go <laughs> read their stuff, and then everybody, and then give everybody, give them some love in the chat box, as you say, and yeah. then unmute and tell them how amazing you thought you were, and then straight yeah. to the next person, and it's, that there's no feeling that someone's going to be under the microscope or on the spotlight yes. or anything like that. They can just come and share the thing that they've written. And without exception, they always, and I, and it's frightening really to say, but they always knock it out of the park, um, yes. especially the newbies who you've never heard before because you go in, you said you were shy and you, you were a bit worried about it. And you're going, what on earth are you worried about? <laughs> it's great. I love doing it. But it's so important, especially at the beginning. I had um some local poets and writers here. I'm going to shout out their names because I, I wouldn't mm. not shout out their names. So Gaynor Kane, Karen Mooney, Biddy Lee, Trish Bennett. Are, we're in a group together in a little WhatsApp group. But those ladies from the very, very beginning have given me opportunity after opportunity to, to stand up at a mic and, and share my stuff. Even at the very beginning when I was stammering and shaking and, and nervous and and they're still there, and they have been amazing, incredible writers themselves, but just giving each other space. So it's, it's a lovely thing to be able to do to pay that forward then, isn't it? It is. Unfortunately, I, I'm familiar with two of the names that you mentioned, and I'm glad you said Karen Mooney, because I know Karen Mooney said about your poetry, it's like open heart surgery, which reaches <laughs> into your very being and squeezes your heart for every last drop of emotion. Oh, wow. You've done your thing. homework, girl. <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely thing for someone to say. Yeah, what a gorgeous thing to poet. say. Karen has been amazing. My very first thing that I read, um, Karen at the time was working for a local radio station and she heard me read and then got me to to come onto the radio station and, and read that piece as well, which just blew my mind because I was still at the stage where I was talking like this and she just seen through all of that and seen through all my nerves and anxiety and the shaky pages and and just 
give me something to hold on to. So Karen has been an amazing support, yeah. It's funny when you when you talk about your high voice because when I first transitioned, people want people were saying I should change my voice, right? And so for a while I was talking a lot like this, and it was just like suddenly you sound like Minnie Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, my voice is high anyway. Like I'll answer the phone, and people will ask me, "Is my mummy home?" You know, so my voice doesn't need any higher. <laughs> Most people. When it, I mean, that kind of stuff works with people that you know because they find it amusing. But when you talk to some people you don't know, they just go, what? Why are you talking like that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost worse than the than your telephone voice, you know. Hello. <laughs> so I decided in the end, look, it's my voice. I've got given born with it. That's that's it. I'm not going to change it. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> although it is terrible when, when I'm on the phone or doing stuff without visual clues. That's the worst. That's the worst time it comes. Yeah, it's tricky. Especially when people go, in, sure, you're Mrs. <laughs> I think you're Mrs. Jay, I love, I love your poetry voice. I think it's quite sexy poetry voice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm very inspired by Dylan Thomas, but I got through, I got into um, poetry, you know, through Richard Burton. So I wow. love Richard Burton. <laughs> if I was, if I were, if I was a teenager, I would have posters of him on my wall. Wow. <laughs> But, but I, that's really how I got into poetry, right? And then I discovered that a lot of what Richard um, Burton was reading was probably Dylan Thomas stuff. And then read, then listen to Dylan Thomas and going, oh, my Lord, I'm captivated by this voice because suddenly it doesn't matter if you don't understand. Because Dylan Thomas, right, he was known for making up words. If, if you pursue the poem, you know, I'm going to create stuff. So you can just get carried along like you're on a boat, you know. Yeah, wow, <laughs> wow. I love the theatre, I love the theatre of all that. But anyway, enough about me, Kathy. I've built you up quite a lot here, um, <laughs> deservedly so. Would you be kind enough to share one of your pieces with us? I was thinking about what to share first, and I realised you, I don't think you've met Danielle um, in uh -huh. any of the Zooms that we've done together. So I think I'll go back to the very first poem that the show kind of grew from, if that's okay. Yeah, um, so this piece is called November Sun. I always do it in a hat because it helps me step in and step out of her a little bit. So this is November Sun. November! Belfast is Baltic. But the Christmas shoppers are out in force already. And my doorway stinks of urine and whiskey and unknown things. I pull my scarf up over my nose against the stench. I focus on breathing through my mouth. I'm watching shoppers. They think they're cold because they have to walk 10 minutes from the shopping centre to their air-conditioned 4 by 4 but trust me, they have never been cold. I mean, so cold that your bones turn to steel. Soldered together at the joints, making the slightest movement impossible. I mean, so cold that you don't drink after four o'clock because the thought of getting out of your sleeping bag at night for a wee, it makes you cry. Real, actual tears. A lady bought me a coffee earlier. <laughs> nice enough, I suppose, until she said, I didn't want to give you money, love, in case you drank it. The only time I drank out here was my first week when I couldn't sleep. 
I woke up with a strange man's hands in my places and spaces. I have not drank since. When I told Kelly she gave me eight nappy pins, he only groped me. I told her, I'm not pregnant. No, she said. And she pressed them into my palm. You fasten your t-shirt to your knickers, then your jumper to your jeans, and then your coat to everything that will give you time to scream, Danielle. Or if I know you, time to fight. A man crouches down and he puts a pound in my dish. Have you no people, love? I almost answer him. Almost. Almost say, yeah, mate, I've got people. Community outreach people. Floating support worker people. I had a chance to have people once. When I was 12, I went to stay with a lady called Sally and her three daughters. And Sally loved hard. She made you breakfast, sandwiches for school. She cooked your dinner. She washed all your clothes, Christ. She ran you a bath. I had no idea how to react to that. Where was the temper? Where was the snap that I was used to? I did not trust her. So I decided I would expose her. You see, in my world, nobody was that kind. Not really. So I lied. I stole. I cursed and I talked back. But that didn't work. I went to her weakness. I went after her kids. On the day she saw me hit her youngest, she stood with her mouth open like a wound. But she still didn't snap. She sat me down a few days later, though. And she said she was sorry, Jesus. She was sorry. She said she had tried really hard, but that it was best for everyone if I didn't stay. She took my face in her hands. She kissed me on the top of the head and she said, Someday, Danya, you're going to have to let somebody love you. And the way that she looked at me, that look, it was like standing in the full heat of the sun, arms stretched wide, head back, eyes closed, letting the warmth fill all your corners. Christ, it was so damn cold that night. A lady strode towards me with a North Face jacket. This rattly bag held just so. She looked like she could afford it. I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask her for change. I've been out here five months. I've never asked. But there's pound thirty-four in my dish and it's 10 o'clock at night, so... This is it. I'm a real life beggar now. I can fall no further. I've watched others do this so many times. Can you spur some change? Mate, can you spur some change? Can you spur some change? More invisible with each play. So it's my turn. No shame. No gain.
Just as I'm about to speak, she looks at me with utter disgust and says, no change and I can't help it. Humiliation explodes inside me. I never asked you, you stuck-up cow. Hunger down inside me, sleeping back. I check my nappy pins are in place and I close my eyes. I hear somebody call my name, but I stay where I am. There must be a thousand Daniels. Somebody grabs my foot from my sleeping bag and shakes it. And I'm back there with Sally shaking my foot through the duvet. Come on, Danya. You're going to be late for school, love. And the memory wins me like a punch. And I tell myself it can't be, but I want it to be. It's so bad. I don't breathe in case I break the spell. I peer over my sleeping bag. <laughs> and her brown hair is salted at the roots. And she has these wrinkles on her cheeks. As intricate as spiders' webs. But it's my Sally, all right. Because as she looks at me, I swear to God. I can feel the heat of the sun. Thanks, Jay. Just gonna give that a second. Where were you when you wrote that? Gosh. I think it came, I was in a, one day I was in work and I had a conversation with a patient and the patient said to me, I was on my way to church today and there was a scummy homeless person sleeping with no respect on the church steps. And that just hit the stomach in me. And I just thought, she says, if they would only clean themselves up. And she started in this rant. And I was in my uniform and I was caring for this person. And this person wasn't well. So what was going on with me wasn't important at that time and I had to, to hold it. But I also had to get it out. <laughs> um, so that poem was created in a needing to let that out. Um, so that's, I wrote it, part of it that night. And I set it to the side. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, Jay, that when you go to write something, it's so sore you can't write it. And so you, you write a little bit and it's too sore and you step away and you step forward and back and forward and back for a long time because you know when you're going to write it, it's going to hurt. Yeah. Um, and so it took me a long time to to actually finish it and shape it and craft it because it hurt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There are a lot of specific details in there that, that wouldn't necessarily come to mind if somebody was just writing about a homeless person. Is there some experience in that? Yeah, there's there's some experience in that of my own, but there's also some experience of, of working with, with those people. Um, yeah. Those people, gosh, forgive me, working with people who don't have a home. Um, so there is some experience in working with, with people who don't have a home. I really cross about the term homeless people Yes. In the same way that I get cross about the term cancer patients as if 
what we're going through is a definitive of who we are um, and all that we can be. Um, your situation is not the definition of you. Um, so I get I get cross at that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I and I have had the experience of of doing the show and and coming up with people who have the same mindset as the lady who spoke to me in the hospital that day, and it's it's been quite a learning to to sit with the fact that not everyone has understanding and compassion around this issue. Um, mm. that's been a learning for me, and to to still be courageous enough to to step into that space and stand in it is has been a, a huge learning curve. I get cross when people talk about the trans community as if we're all some homogenous blob. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. and where everybody's different and uh, yeah what I did want to say was how beautifully you uh, morph when you put your hat on Cassie <laughs> for, yeah, for the first is not five really... seconds I was actually afraid <laughs> I, just, I thought you were going to reach out to the screen and grab me yeah, she, she she's, she's quite an attitude. She is quite an attitude, um, and I need that. Um, yeah. And when you see what she goes through in the show, she needs that. You know, is there a Kathy? Is that is that uh, magnifying a Kathy that's in there? It's maybe the Kathy that I wish I was growing up. <laughs> it's maybe all the attitude that I wish I had. Um, maybe yeah, and um, maybe it's it's the stuff that that never came out in in another form in in reality. Um, there's certainly a lot that she gets to say that Kathy wouldn't have the nerve to say, um, which is why she's quite useful. It's wonderful in the fact that we've talked about visual poetry before to some degree, but you kind of embody that in the fact that it's hard to take your, your eyes away from the screen when you're performing. Well, thank you. That to you before when, when I've seen you in Zoom stuff, because, and I think it comes from you really know your material, right? Um, but not only do you really know your material, but you, I think somewhere deep inside of you, you really connect with your material as well. And that comes across in as much as what you don't say, but how you project that to just the word, to the word, more than it does the words themselves quite often. That's, yeah. that's brilliant. It's mesmerising, Kathy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And the thing I'm surprised about with performances like that, and I want to ask you a little bit about the show in a minute, but the, the thing I wanted to ask you a bit that I'm surprised about is you have like a YouTube channel, but you don't have much stuff on there. And, no. and just seeing you perform, like you were naturally born to be on a screen, right? Um, to, to me, to see, to see you perform, it's better than a lot of stuff that I see on the TV or on movies. It's just like there's, like, there's a believable... That's a believable human experience there that, that just happens to be someone called Kathy. And what is your feeling about social media and, and that kind of stuff? Because you're a little bit on Twitter, you're a little bit on YouTube. I don't think you're Yeah, on yeah, I I struggle with putting stuff out there. Why? I do. Goodness, why? Why? I think I'm still building, I think. I'm still building in myself this sense of of standing in this and owning it. Um, and yes, you can say I've done all this stuff and I, I'm everywhere, but I'm still just me. And I, I, I do struggle. I do struggle socially sometimes. I do struggle to put myself in spaces. And um, I really work hard at it. I 
work harder by not focusing on what's going on inside my body and my head when I'm in the social space and focusing outwards and making sure that I'm talking to other people and, and being interested in them. So I flip the focus right. and that helps me stay in those spaces. Um, so I still really struggle with with putting myself out there, Jay. I'm still learning. Certainly Danielle this last year has been amazing in helping me in that. Um, and this community has been incredible in helping me in that um, and the community that I have back home here. But I am still learning to stand in it. Um, and I've had a few experiences, and, and I'm going to be really honest with this, I've had a few experiences on social media where people online aren't who they are in person. Mm. And I've I've got burned a little bit. And so I'm really careful with with my interactions online and, and what I put out there. And I don't spend a lot of time on those spaces like I used to. So I'm still building up from from that space as well to to try and get confidence in in the people that are out there and, and believe in their transparency because I got burned a little bit. Yeah, you're not the first person I've spoke to to say that. It's it's a shame. Is there some theatrical training in there? No. It's all the homegrown, <laughs> Cathy. It's, it's all homegrown, if that is a term. Um, yeah, and um, there's no training. I would actually love that. Um, to have somebody come in and, and just yeah. I don't think you need I'll... it. I don't think you would need it. <laughs> I think it would constrain you. It was just like it comes. You come across as a very, very natural performer, like you've always done it. And Gosh. It, it. I love the fact as well. Like I'm, I'm all over YouTube, right? I'm all over TikTok, but I hate my face being on video. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't really like doing the the stand up, the in person spoken word stuff or the Zoom stuff, really. And. Don't ask me why. Um, I, it's completely. I have no idea why why it is. And yet, I see someone like you, and I'm like, why aren't you? Why aren't you on it? You, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I can understand why I'm not on it. I, I mean, I am on it, but I prefer to like put other people on it or just put it to videos or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Stuff. Um, but yeah, but when someone comes to it so beautifully and naturally. Oh bless you, Jen. Yeah, I just just want to see more of it. So I, <laughs> you want you you do appear on a lot of you different YouTube channels. Yeah, other people have been generous in, in putting the stuff out there, oh, but I'm not on. very generous with it myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to how to switch that. It, it it's definitely a learning curve for me, and and putting myself out there, I'm still learning to do that. And um, yeah. yeah, I I'm just sure need the saboteur reward would have given you quite a lot of confidence. Um, how did you I, feel when you got that? I yeah, gosh, just really humbled was the most thing. Um, because people got behind the show and and voted for me um, and voted for Danielle. I think Danielle stole her hearts. And and that's lovely because it just raises awareness that the show is about domestic violence and homelessness and and any sort of attention that the show gets can only bring that more to the fore and, and raise more awareness around that. So I don't kind of hold it as mine. I hold it as hers. Yeah. How long does the show run for? So the show runs for an hour and 15 minutes. I take a break in the middle um, yeah. because I think people need a break and I need a break. Yeah. It's a lot of emotion. Um, there are some funny bits in there um, and there's some lightness in there, but there is a lot to carry. And 
she goes through a lot in her journey and uh, I think people need time just for processing so I always try and take an interval whenever the venue allows yeah no that's amazing I'm so excited to come and see it I I, I, I have a feeling it's not going to be one of those shows where I've got a pocket full of sweets you know what I mean it's just like I'm just going to be absolutely riveted to like oh thank you when you're not doing Danielle, when you're not doing poetry, and you do a lot, right? You do a lot of community stuff around poetry as well. Who is Kathy? I have quite a small, tight circle of friends. And I'm quite, yeah, I'm not out there an awful lot. I'm not a big clubber. Or, okay. I love a coffee with friends. I love a walk with my dog. Um, yeah, and I, I do strength training. Not a lot of people know that about me. Strength so, training? Strength training. So I lift weights. Um I'm not a big girl, I'm not a big muscly girl by any points, but I have um fibromyalgia and some arthritis as well. And so that's how I manage my condition is is to to exercise and make sure that my muscles are as strong as they can be. And so I would do strength training three times a week. Um, wow. And I lift a bit of weights and do some pull-ups and do a couple of deadlifts and yeah, so I <laughs> I'm in getting my girl on, getting I like it. No, no, girl. I, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you something I haven't told anybody. Before I transitioned, I felt like, like I'm going back some years. But I used to be a bodybuilder. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's it's how I dead. met my... I have that's... the smallest guns you've ever seen. They're like little tiny bumps. <laughs> Wow. One of the reasons I'm quite broad and I'm quite wide is because I used to, that's how I met my first wife. And it was just like, <laughs> feels embarrassed talking about it now. <laughs> but yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's maybe, amazing. Maybe we go down the gym, Kathy. <laughs> we could. That's some discipline to, to take it to that level. My goodness. Although I've replaced it with cake since then. So. <laughs> You can imagine. I've still got the. I'm still built the same way, but just in different proportions now. <laughs> and do you miss it, Jay? I do. I, um, yeah. To be honest, when I used to do that, and I was doing it six days a week at a peak, it was my place to go because when I was before I transitioned gender, I, I was a very stereotypical man. Um, with a lot of the men pressure that, that, yeah. that often doesn't get any talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to be the breadwinner. You can't show any real emotion about anything. You can't talk about things that bother you. You've got to be there for everyone else. All of this stuff. And it was my place to go and just not think about anything, but just focus on on what I was doing right in front of me, task-based um, which yeah. was the only way I could I could really deal with it. That's probably why I ended up doing it so much, Cassie. <laughs> yeah, that's a big thing for me too. Coming out of of work with what I do for my job, working with people who are so sick, it's it's something to to just de stress and unwind, and yeah. just as you say, just to to focus on what's going on with your body and focus on your form and and to have goals and things that are are other than what you're dealing with during the day. So. Yeah, I completely relate to that, just trying to use it as a form of escape, yeah. Now, talking about, we've talked about why aren't you on YouTube? <laughs> or, other, or other video formats are available. I, now, it does say here that you've done festivals, local radio and TV. Kathy, mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about those? 
Yeah, so the, the gorgeous Karen Mooney again got me to do a little um, piece on television one time and it was one of the first pieces that I ever did called Wake Up Call. And it's also the first piece that I've performed online um, on Zoom for Clive and Nick at UB Hive. It was a piece that I did for them as well. Um, radio has been um, some flash fiction stories and things that I've got shared on radio. Um, I don't like talking on the radio. I get really nervous and anxious. So my thing is that I'll record it and I'll just send it in um, or someone else will record it and send it in. So I don't do chat stuff on the radio. I get too anxious. But yeah, mm -hmm. I'm happy to to share stories and stuff on the radio. Absolutely. Festivals, I love. I don't know if you've ever done a festival. It's a very surreal have? experience. Yeah, have you? I have. I, I got to go to um, Cheltenham Poetry Festival. Wow. I'll I, I tell you the best bit. Yes, we did some poetry, right? But we got to go to the VIP tent. And at one point, right, here we go, Kathy, I'm going to tell you. I was standing, as I would be, at the buffet. <laughs> With, and one side of me was Ruby Wax, and the other side of me was Sanjeev Bhaskar. And, wow. And she turns, <laughs> to, she turns to me and she goes, and what do you do? And I couldn't remember what I did, right, first. And then Sanjeev Bhaskar said, he said, are you going to go for some cake? And I said, do you know, I'm so tempted to have two slices of cake. I said, but I'm just a bit embarrassed about what people would say. And he just went, I'll tell you what, I'll have two pieces of cake. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, my, that's my fame story. That's um, a fantastic story. I love that story. <laughs> yeah, we did some poetry as well. So. so when we did a festival, I did a festival in, in Northern Ireland called Stendhal <clears throat> Festival. And it was a big music festival slash poetry slash all creative arts. So I'm doing my poetry and in the background I can hear like a an imitation queen band doing Bohemian Rhapsody. And I have kids doing aeroplanes running about the front of the stage and lots of stuff going on. And it's a very different experience from being in that very protected room and sending your poetry to your poetry audience. It's it's very, very different vibe. I, <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Do you prefer performing in person? I think I already know the answer by now. Do you prefer performing in person or online? I actually don't have a preference, Jay, and that's that's my honest truth. I actually don't. Um, I think both have pluses. I get more nervous in person, but I do get still nervous on Zoom. I love that we have a chat box and that people engage with that um, on the line. But I love the coming up after and chatting to people and, and building people up at a, at a live event as well. There's different things that I like about both of them. Um, so I don't have a preference, honestly. Okay. okay. Yeah. You said you, you haven't got a book or anything out um, mm -hmm. yet. Um, but I do know you've been published. You have been published, though, haven't you? So you've been yeah. in The Bramley? So, yeah, I've been in a few anthologies, The Bramley and an anthology called Sinew as well. And, and another uh, language? And another language. So another language was uh, one that was done to raise awareness around domestic violence, and they published one of my pieces in there. So I've been published just just the four times, and and my and that's probably because I don't write stuff down and I don't send stuff in. Um, and yes, it's lovely to have it in paper, and it's lovely to have that. But my passion will always be to push it through me, yes. and it'll always be hard signs and hard feels as it leaves my body rather than having it in front of me on a page. 
And so that's not really the drive for me yet. That might change at some stage, but it's not really where the drive is yet to to have a book or to to have something in my hands that I can hold and say this is my my pamphlet or my collection. I think that's I think that's really good because a lot of poets that I talk to or storytellers that I talk to are really keen to just get published and sending stuff off to get published is harsh, right? Mm-hmm. It's harsh. And um and also we 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 tend to suffer from the from the confidence we get from in-person poetry events. So everyone tells us it's brilliant, right? It's it's um what we're doing is great, you should get published. And then we send it to somewhere and they go, no, thanks, not not for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are also so many now poetry is kind of having a resurgence, isn't it? And there are so many people out there now. Um, and there are so few publishers who are already um their books are just full. So yeah. I think I think it's very admirable, especially like in your case where you kind of there's more than just the word dimension to your poetry. It's like a three-dimensional experience that would be really hard to capture. Yeah. Although how I can imagine having been to say your show or or seen seen you perform, and and I've heard people say this is that they would love to see the words written down. You know, in the old days, we used to be able to look by a vinyl record and just yeah. all of the stuff and just embrace ourselves in that. So yeah. I, I hope you, I hope you do decide um, to do that because as because I really love the three D embodiment of it, which you couldn't really capture in book. But then you want to be able to go. I really want to get to the heart and see the words as well, just the yeah. words. And, I've had people say that to me after the show. I've had people say, yeah. is there anywhere you can you can buy the script? Because there were parts of that that I'd really love to sit with a bit longer. Yeah, um, merch. Merch yeah. I'm getting to you, Cathy. Is there, is there Danielle hats and is there Danielle <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Maybe in the future. But at the minute, I'm just in, enjoying what I'm doing. And, yeah, at the minute, the passion seems to be to to stand in it and to, to connect with an audience and to to have that conversation yeah and and outside of becoming marvelous the poetry that you write um and i know you do do some because i've seen i've seen quite a lot of it on um online is that something you want to do more of i don't write as regularly as i should jay um i know you seem you seem to be quite prolific in in your production and certainly people like yourself and, and clive oseman and kate jenkinson Good. It astounds me how you create so much so and of such good quality all the time. But I don't write an awful lot and probably not as often as I should. Um, something has to move me or stir me or, or feel a need to, to write it. It has to be knocking on the inside of me before I'll, I'll sit down and try and create it. So I'm not very disciplined, I have to be really honest. But yes, I do have poetry that's not in the show, um, quite a bit of poetry that's not in the show. Um, and a lot of that is just me standing in me um, and being as wide open and as honest and transparent as I can, finding the language for the things that I need to find language for in the hope that other people can connect with that and have the courage to either connect to it and what I've said or look for their own language to, to express their own experience. And where would people go to... If they wanted to, where are your regular places? Where do you like to hang out? So I have a little, there's not a huge scene since the pandemic in Northern Ireland now. We're still building that after the pandemic, but there is a gorgeous open mic in County Armagh called the Abbey Lane Open Mic. 
And I always say that this little open mic grew me. They took me from stammering and I did the first two years of that open mic in my socks because my legs were shaking so hard that I couldn't stand still. So I would take off my shoes and stand on their little stage with my sock soles on trying to, to not fall off it. But that little audience really built me and really helped me grow very much so. So that would be my regular little open mic. And there's a couple in Belfast that I'd go to, to the Crescent Arts or to Eastside Arts, or a couple of sort of local porty ones that I would go to if I can. And online? Online. I haven't been doing much online. Probably my, my safest space that I check in with is UB Hive. Clive and Nika, and you know this yourself, are just so supportive. They have been incredible and they're incredible to the whole poetry community. And I'm always off on a Friday evening most times. So that would be my regular one that I would go to. But there are others out there. I know Lime Square Poets is a fantastic one that's based in Ireland. Finn Hall's Blot is fantastic as well. And there, I think if you go on to Veron's page and she has a poetry online event, so much, she just posts and posts and posts. She puts so much work into it. There's so much stuff out there. But just with working shifts, it's just sometimes difficult to get to stuff. Yeah, I've done Lime Square Poets. And yeah. it's, a lovely, it's a lovely um supportive group. And yeah. and Clive and Nick's UB Hive. The one thing you don't know that, that I'll I'll share with you is by the time this podcast comes out, Clive will have been on the show. So he's wow. he's on he's on the episode before you. Oh and, fantastic. I was really excited to get Clive because he's taught again like you he's a person that lifts others right he he's prolific in nurturing people either whether they're new or whether they're established and one of the brilliant things they did for me as you know is when I had my book came out in December and I was looking for someone to do the online hosting um, Clive and Nick were like well we'll do it even though they were crammed that month they still found time um, yeah. to do which I was completely blown away with, really. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, whenever whenever I finish the show, Clive and Nick says, okay, let's get your show over. Let's come on over. And they sorted out the gig in Birmingham and sorted out everything. They are just two absolute champions, aren't they? Yeah, they absolutely are. Now, the one thing, because you're such a brilliant performer and because it comes so brilliantly naturally, what kind of advice would you give to people who were thinking about performing for the first time? Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. Okay. Um, and do it in whatever way you can. Yeah. If it means that you take your socks off, take your socks off. If it means that you so need to learn it off by heart or read it from a page, do whatever works for you. But just do it and get that first time done. Get it over with so that you've got that grounding and you can build from there. And don't stress too much about what it looks like or how it feels like or what it sounded like. Just get it done and build from there. I go back and look at at videos of when I started and I'm cringing under the table because there's no performance in it. But it's like when you're writing and you have to write all the bad stuff so that you have something to edit. You will get better. You know, you will get this craft and you will learn it and you will be able to do this and enjoy it but you just have to push through all the yuck first so push through all the yuck and and just do it um and it is excruciatingly uncomfortable sometimes and it's as scary as hell but i promise you whenever you have done it 
I don't know about you, Jay, but the feeling of freedom is like nothing else. That feeling of of being heard and held in a room and of, of just letting your voice go free and, and having that courage. And especially if it's hard for you, if you push through and you do that, the sense of accomplishment and achievement just pushes you on to be stronger, I think. I think so. I mean, for me, I think it has knock-on effects to other parts of life as well. It's just like mm-hmm. I often say to people, like, if you can stand on a stage in front of strangers and share the deepest emotions from your heart through metaphors or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you've got going on at work, you can certainly stand up and talk about that in front of your colleagues, you know, and, and that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. yeah. Where are you on the thoughts of explaining your poem or just getting up in front of the microphone and just get on with it? So sometimes I will do a preamble that is, just takes off and that's when you know I'm nervous, when the preamble goes on and on and on and it loops back around itself and catches itself and repeats and repeats. I can get really nervous. So I try not to do too much of a preamble because that's when my nerves show. That's when Kathy shows um, <laughs> in all her vulnerability and her awkwardness and her ex. So I try not to do too much of a preamble because I know I get lost in that. Whereas if I just keep it short and do the poem, my confidence is in the poem because I will have practiced that and polished that and made sure that I know everything in that in my body and every cell of me. So that's where my confidence stands. So I tend to focus on on trying to do the poem rather than everything around it. So my instance when I'm doing my poetry is I've often said like, when I start talking, I disappear off into my head somewhere, right? And I'm having this little production meeting, like trying, <laughs> trying to self-edit, and I've got a director and a, and a producer all just going on, arguing, and I'm going, just shut up, I'm trying to like, do the stuff. Well, what's going on in your mind when you're performing? When I'm performing, I'm just trying to connect with it on an emotional level. So I've normally practised it enough that the words are just instinct and, and they're going to come, but... I just try and connect with it and make sure that, that if I'm connecting with it, then hopefully the audience is connecting with that as well. And um, if I can't connect with it, that's where I'm in trouble. Um, yeah. So I'll be really trying to tunnel down inside myself and find that first ache when I first wrote it or what was that first inspiration. So I'm going right back to the beginning of the poem and the place that it was created from. And how about that last few seconds after you? That gap between you finish the poem and you, and it suddenly feels like a year's gone by. How does that feel? How, how should people deal with that? Gosh, I don't know about you, Jay, but that can be one of the most vulnerable, exposed spaces that you can find yourself in because you're waiting on it being caught and yeah. you're, you're waiting on it to, to have that reception. And all of us, when we engage, even us having this conversation right now, our subconscious will have a desired response. You know, I'm chatting to you now and you're chatting to me and we both want to be heard and we need to be validated and we want you to connect with what we're saying and I want to connect with what you're saying. So we always come to an engagement with an agenda that's very subconscious. And so even standing in that stage, we will have something that we need back from the audience to to reaffirm something in us and, and we have to be honest about that we're looking for that validation and that confirmation that yes we've been heard and we've been heard in the way that we want to be and so that space in between the exposure and that happening can feel really vulnerable I think yeah 
I think so. I do think it's important sometimes to let them let the audience know that you've finished your poem. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always I, say thank you at the end yeah. because yeah, I say thank you and then I've said I'm done. <laughs> yeah. It's that thing where they're catching up, isn't it? Because sometimes like I could be finished for a few seconds. I learned the hard way to like say end poem or thank you at the end. But I have to give it a few seconds for everyone to catch up. Otherwise they're like, is it finished now? Is it finished? <laughs> if, if it's not an obvious like you you haven't like done the last line, you know, and and that's it. if it's one of those open-ended ones, you really need to consciously close the poem. Yeah. And and the other thing I would probably recommend is don't go straight into your second poem. Give the audience like just count to yourself 15 or 20 under your breath to before you do the next one to give them a chance to catch up and process. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Them in a row. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as you say, just time to let those words land and rest and breathe a little bit before the next one. Yeah. Kathy, do you have another piece that we could close out on? I'll close out with something that, that's quite recent. Um and this is straight from me. This is no character in this. And it's something that I wrote. Um, and I've tried to write this, Jay. It's about my mum. And I've tried to write this piece every anniversary. My mum's gone 13 years. And I've tried to write it every anniversary, every birthday, every Mother's Day. I've sat down and wrestled with this piece. And just this Mother's Day, it kind of came together. Um, and I've been sharing it a little bit. So this little piece is called Remember and it's really about it's about my relationship with my mum and looking back on that and trying to reframe it and trying to to sit with with how difficult that was. Um yeah, and it's one of those ones and we were talking earlier on about not coming up at the end. Um this stays in the ache. It does stay in the ache and and I need it to stay in the ache because there's something in me that needs that ache heard. So it's called Remember. Do you remember when I was younger? You would carry me on your hip because I was tired, but then you'd get tired and I'd begin to slip and your hip would hurt and your feet would burn and you wouldn't know which was worse, but you never put me down again because back then I came first. Do you remember... I drew pictures on every surface I could find. I drew one on the landing wall and I thought you'd lose your mind. But you cleaned it up before dad came home to save me from his rage. And you told me I could be an artist if I just kept it to the page. Do you remember I saw bruises? that bloomed like roses on your arms and you told me it had been an accident. The dad didn't mean the harm, but I watched him rip you from the chair and slam you to the ground as casual as a rugby ball. Every bone in you touched down. Do you remember my first time? I was seven. Not yet grown, I failed the spelling test at school and I bloomed roses of my own. The next day you couldn't speak to me and you wouldn't look me in the eye saying nobody explained that. So I thought I was the why. Do you remember that in our house we ran this twisted relay race where we passed beatings instead of battens, never striving for first place. 
And that shameful relief when it wasn't you. When he picked on someone else, the shutting down, the disconnect, the protection of the self. Do you remember I said, let's just go, mom. Let's just leave. Let's make a plan. You said it's really not that easy, love. You're too young to understand. You see, to me, that felt like giving up. Just giving in, accepting, not looking after the children that you should have been protecting. And I remember I didn't comprehend how abuse can take its toll. The world hadn't yet put together the words coercive and control. I hadn't heard of freeze or fawn. I'd only heard of fight or flight. And you weren't doing either. To me, that wasn't right. So I remember that by the time I left, between us was this void that felt greater than an ocean, our relationship destroyed. And by that time, he had robbed you of any independent thought. And you never kept in touch with me for fear of being caught. And I remember the resentment that built up stone by stone, a wall neither of us tried to climb, pain keeping us alone. And I only got you back again because dementia took your mind and you didn't recognize me. The disease had turned back time, but I remember the gift of that. And that meeting of you before he took your humor and your spirit and all those things that made you, you. Your insatiable love of music, the way that dancing made you smile, the way when others asked for inches, you gifted them a mile. So I remember to say sorry every morning, every night, this crushing ache of knowing that I can never make this right. I did become an artist, not through drawing, but through words, not on a stage, but on a page. And I'll make sure your voice is heard and I'll remember when I was younger and you would carry me on your hip because I was tired. But then you get tired and I begin to slip and your hip would hurt and your feet would burn, and you wouldn't know which was worse. But you never put me down again. Back then, I came first. Thank you. I'm just gonna let it hang again, just for a second. Has she heard that poem? My mum passed away um, 13 years ago, Jay, so oh, well, she hasn't heard that poem. Um, not in any of its forms. Not in any of its forms. Um, I had a really gorgeous gift. Um, I did spend a lot of time without my mum whenever I left home. But the dementia, as that poem says, really did give her back to me. Um, and I have a, a poem specifically about that too that really sort of displays that connection that she went back to who she was before she met my dad. So there's a line in that poem that says I was meeting my mum before she was my mum. Yeah. And yeah, I am really thankful and grateful for, for that, that time. Um, as difficult as it was not to have her connect with me as, as her daughter, I got to connect with, with my mum, um, who she was before lots of stuff happened to her that changed her and that that's a gift that lots of people don't ever get. You know, that's that's quite a unique thing to 
to meet your mum in her youth <laughs> before she had you. Um, so I'm really thankful for that. It really resonates because I reconnected with my mum the back end of last year when my dad passed. And uh, I hadn't seen either of them for a very long time. But she lives with dementia now. And um, so she only knows me how I used to be, you know, when I was younger. And um, so I have, she's often wondered why I'm dressed the way I am or, you know, why I'm doing it now to explain it every time. So yeah. it really resonates with me in that way. Yeah. As we yeah. record this, um, Cassie, we're heading into Easter. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you, right, how many shops I've had to go and look for Easter eggs for children. Well, I say for children. <laughs> Are you an Easter person? Are you a chocolate Easter person? <laughs> I am. Um, I'm on. not a chocolate person, but I am a sweetie person. Ooh. So I'm a sugar, hit wine, gum, jelly bean kind of a person rather than a chocolate person. So very often at Easter time, people will buy me wine gums and, and jelly beans rather than, than chocolate. But I do have a, a really bad sweet tooth, Jay. I'm guilty as charged. Yeah, I'm terrible. Mine's mine's the Ferrero Rocher one, where the whole shell is made from it. <laughs> All in. <laughs> I had to share it. Well, I don't know why I'm the only one in the house who has to share my stuff, <laughs> share my Easter egg. <laughs> but I don't mind. I don't mind because I just like to see them them happy. But yeah, I've I've left it very very late, Kathy, and rather. I start saying, like, what do you want? And I've now moved to, like, this is what they've got. <laughs> Pick something. <laughs> yeah, I, I had the same conversation. I don't have kids of my own, but I buy for nephews. And, and I had the same conversation the other night. This is what they have in the shop. What we'll do. <laughs> Kathy Carson, it was absolutely lovely chatting with I you. Really, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your company and thank you so much for the opportunity of having me on i've really enjoyed it Jay. a delight thank you take care thank you for joining me on this poetic exploration this has been an absolute thrill to record i hope you will join me on a future episode of the poetic podcast until then please continue your poetic journey and most of all Stay fabulous. Bye.